What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. We're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about finance. We're talking about business. And before we introduce today's guest, my man, Eric, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday Spotlight? Thank you, Corey. Uh, today's Spotlight, we're going to look at General Michael E. Langley. Now, at the age of 60, he became the first Black Marine to receive a fourth star on his shoulder. This is a landmark. This is big because this is the first time in the course 246 years of existence, a Black man had achieved the rank of a four-star general. With that star, he became one of only four-star generals serving in the Marine Corps, hoorah, which is, of course, the service's senior leadership. Now, with this um, achievement, his next assignment will be to lead the United States Africa Command. And the Marine Corps had never, this is just a note, the Marine Corps had never given any four stars to anyone who was not a white man. So this is huge. So we're gonna give a quick shout out to him. Now, a little tidbit, little uh, nugget I'd like to throw out as well. I don't know who needs to hear this, but start living and enjoying your life. Your life is passing by daily, and if all you're doing is working, paying bills, and overthinking stuff you can't change, don't do that. Start enjoying yourself. Start taking trips. Start treating yourself to nice things. Get well-deserved rest. Learn how to let go and let God. Enjoy your life and be grateful and great. And that's my spotlight for today. Back to you, Corey. Thanks, Eric, for that Black Men Sunday's History Spotlight. Let's introduce today's guest, his brother, Rich. Thanks, Eric, for that Black Men Sunday's History Spotlight. Let's introduce today's guest. We got Richard Miller. This brother was born in Barbados, raised in New York City. He watched his parents build wealth at a young age. He's the author of two books, Dealing and Building Black Wealth. He has an MBA from LIU, his undergrad and economics degree from City College in New York City. Check this out, fellas. This brother owned a car dealership. How many brothers you know owned a car dealership? And he currently owns his own insurance agency, and he's a real estate agent. Richard Miller, welcome to Black Men Sundays, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great, Corey. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And I am so happy to be on your show. I think it's a great show and you're sharing information with black men, important information. So again, thank you for having me on your podcast. So let's take care of business right out the gates. Um, yes. How did you learn to build wealth at a young age? I mean, you had a savings account at 10 years old. Let's go. Yes, Corey. I grew up in Barbados in the Caribbean and I came from very humble beginnings. So when I was growing up in Barbados, my mom could not afford to just go to the store and buy stuff. So she had to put it on layaway. Okay. Some of you may be too young to know about layaway, but that's what our parents and our grandparents did back in the day. So I remember every Saturday morning, me and my mom used to go shopping. The first thing we did, we stopped at the bank and my mom whipped out her bank book, gave it to the teller. The teller gave her some cash and then we went shopping. And one day I said, hey, mom, can I have a bank book? She said, you gotta have money to have a bank book. I said, well, can I have some money? Can I get some money? She said, you gotta have a job to get money. So I said, okay, I kept that in the back of my head. The next stop was at Harrison's department store in Barbados, in Bridgetown, Barbados. And we go into the store, first thing my mom did she went to the salesperson, told her she wanted, gave her, whipped out another book, the layaway book. She said, I want to lay away some money. So the, the uh, salesperson wrote it down on a receipt, held it up in the air and yelled cash. And right after she did that, this little boy came running. He took the layaway book. He took the money, took it to the cashier and he got changed and brought it back to my mom. So I said, hey, mom. He's got a job. How come I can't get a job? So the sales lady said, little boy, how old are you? I said, I'm six. She said, he's 10. You got to be 10 in order to work here. Okay. So I kept going in the store for the next four years, looking at that little boy, just envying him. And finally, when I got to be 10, I got a job as a cash boy 
at that department store. We got paid $25 a week, $5 a day plus tips. So now I go to my mom. I said, mom, I got a job and I got money. Can I get a bank book? She said, yes, you will. She didn't say, yes, you may. Yes, you will. So we got a bank book. And that's how I got my bank book at the age of 10. So I've been saving money at the age of 10. So let's transition a little bit. You know, you own and operate an insurance agency. Yes. And a real estate company. Because as black men, I'm just going to be honest. You know, we dream a lot. We sit around with our friends around, hey, man, I want to own my own business. I want to do this. And then five, 10 years later, you're still in the same situation. So how did you make that idea come to fruition? Well, first of all, I grew up seeing my parents have businesses. My dad, in addition to uh, being an executive at a sugar factory, my dad was also a tailor, so he made suits on the side. And my mom was a seamstress. She made dresses for people. So my parents had side hustles in addition to their regular jobs, okay? So I started an insurance agency because insurance is an excellent business. It gives you residual income. When I had my car dealership, some months I'd have a good month, and then the next month I'd have a bad month. So all that profit I made from the first month, from the previous month, some of it is wiped out when I have a bad month. So I learned something about that. I needed to have a business where every month is gonna be a good month. And if you're an insurance broker or an insurance agent, every month is a good month because you get residual income. So that's the reason why I became an insurance broker and I took it a step further. I started an insurance company. I have a, it's a small company. I have 10 agents and those agents are independent, okay? I provide an office for them. I train them and whatever they sell, I get a percentage of that. So the insurance business provides residual income. I also started a real estate company and I basically started that company for myself because that's, that provides another stream of revenue, okay? I own several rental properties, okay? And every month I have folks paying me rent. So that provides another source of, of, of income for me. Corey, the key to building wealth, and I know I'm a little long-winded, the key to building wealth is having several revenue streams. Don't just have one, have several. Have several. You know, it kind of reminds me of my grandmother saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I'm like, wow, I'm good at that. I'm good at that. And then, oh, you didn't make the team. It's over. Now you have to find something else to do. So I get that. So, you know, you're an author of two books. Yes. And you're a former car dealership owner. And yes. I read that being a former car dealership owner helped led to your first book, Dealing. Talk a little yes. bit about that to us. Okay. I got into the car business uh, back in 1982. I was on Wall Street, pretty much in the back office at a brokerage firm. And then I got my MBA and I got an offer from Ford Motor Company. So I moved from New York to Indianapolis working for Ford Motor Company. I worked, I learned the car business uh, by working for Ford Motor Company. I was uh, a financial consultant, pretty much going into car dealerships and helping them with their fixed operations. When you go into a car dealership, you have the parts and service department. That's fixed operations, okay? That money they make in parts and service, that money covers all of the fixed expenses. So I would go into a car dealership, analyze the financial statements and help them improve their fixed expenses. So I learned the business. And then after about eight years, I decided, you know what? I'm making these car dealers so much money. I can do this on my own. So I approached Ford Motor Company on owning a car dealership. And they said, well, you gotta have some cash. So I said, okay, I've got a little bit of cash. I've been saving my money. I've been investing my money. And they said, well, you also have to go to dealer school. It's a tough business, so you got to learn the retail side of the business as well. So I applied to Ford Motor Company's Minority Dealer Training Program. Every year, Ford Motor Company picked 20 dealer trainees from around the country, and I was fortunate to be one of those 20. 
So I put my cash up and back then I was 33 years old and I had $150,000 that I had saved up. Okay. I had good credit. Okay. And I had some experience in the automobile business. So it was an easy decision for Ford Motor Company to uh, uh, select me. After two years, I graduated and I got a dealership in St. Louis, Missouri. And that's how I uh, got my first uh, business owning a car dealership. This is Eric from uh, Huntsville. Yes. Uh, I just want to say, man, that's that's very impressive to uh, be at that age and have that mindset of um, wanting to, you know, start your business like that. And I just want to salute you for that. And thank you for the information. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And it, it just goes to show you what can happen if you have good credit and not only if you save your money, but if you save and invest. OK, so I was able to bring one hundred fifty thousand dollars to the table at age thirty three and having good credit along with the buck fifty. I was able to borrow two million dollars. How many black men in America, you know, the age of 33 can borrow $2 million. And I became one of the youngest car dealers in America as a result of that. So save your money, invest your money, grow your money, and, and make sure you clean up your credit because you've got to have good credit. Wow. Okay. And um, before I open the stage, I just have one last question. As black men, where do we go wrong financially, in your opinion? Well, first of all, I don't think we get the training from an early age, okay? And we certainly don't get it in school, okay? I don't recall anywhere in school, in high school, in college, undergraduate, I got an MBA, okay? I don't recall anyone ever teaching me about credit, the components of credit, okay? The importance of having good credit. I don't recall anyone ever teaching me about investing in the stock market. I don't recall anyone ever teaching me the importance of having several revenue streams, okay? So these are things that I pretty much learned on my own. And these are things that you have to have. You have to teach your children. But the most important thing is you have to read, okay? I grew up when I was four years old, we used to go to the library. We'd get books. We weren't watching TV at night. The only time we could watch TV was on Saturdays and Sundays. We had to read and we had to write about what we read. My mom would make us write a book report, okay, about every book we read. And at the end of the month, we'd go back and get four more books. My mom taught us basic math and not only how to read, but how to write at a very early age. You cannot leave that up to schools. The schools are not doing a good job teaching your kids. You have to do it yourself. And you got to start early. You got to start when they're three, four, five years old. You can't wait until you're 12, till they're 12. When I was 12, I had the mindset of a 40-year-old adult. It's too late then to teach me stuff. I mean, I'm still learning. I'm still learning as of today because I try to learn something every day. But you have to take the responsibility to teach your kids at a very early age. When they're three, four, five years old, their brains are like sponges and it just soak up a lot of information. Hello, Mr. Miller. This is Commissioner Scott out of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I got a quick question before I get to my main question. The Minority yeah. Dealer Training Program at Ford, is that a program that most automobile companies offer, you think? And uh, if someone wanted to by a dealership, like what, what advice would you give them to learn more about that? Well, first of all, the uh, uh, that's an excellent question, by the way. The uh, minority dealer training program was discontinued, okay? And they're trying to bring it back right now. The reason why I wrote the book, Dealing, I started writing the book back in, in uh, 2000, uh, 2015. In 2015, well, well let's, let's, let's go back to 1992 when I got my dealership. In 1992, there were 751 African-American men and women like myself who owned car dealerships. Ford Motor Company had a minority dealer training program and General Motors had a minority dealer training program and Chrysler had one as well. When the recession came, they stopped those programs. 
the recession in 2008 and 2009. After that recession, we went from 751 Black men and women owning car dealerships to 260, wow. okay? But yet, Black men and women are spending over $50 billion a year on new cars and trucks. That's what prompted me to write the book, Dealing, because here we are spending all this money on cars and trucks. As Black people, we can fix them as technicians. We can sell them as car salesmen but we're not able to own them and pass that wealth down to our children, okay? For generations like white car dealers do. So that's what prompted me to write the book, Dealing. It's a very important book. The book is available on amazon.com. It's also available at Barnes and Nobles, or you can get it from my website, wealthbuildingforblacks.com. Okay, I appreciate that, that information. I didn't know that, so I'm definitely going to, I'm going to get the book. I'm going to take a look at that, man. Thanks Absolutely. And a related question, because you touched, you just touched on point uh, upon a topic, you know, about, you know, the differences and some opportunities that some people have and they don't. Uh, I see that you own and still own a couple of businesses, right? Yes. What fears did you have when approaching the business startup mode? And how did you overcome those fears? Because a lot of people are just scared to get in the game, you know? Absolutely. And let me just say this, the number one reason why people set goals and never cheat and never achieve them is fear of failure. They're afraid to fail. I am not afraid to fail. I have said fail uh, several times. Most successful people have failed and they have not only failed once or twice, most successful people and some of them have failed several times. I look at failure as experience. If I fail, there's a positive side of failure. And that positive side is that I had the courage to try it. And the other positive side is I got some experience out of that that I can use down the road. So don't be afraid of failure. Now, the next step, you have to do your due diligence, okay? Any venture you get into, you have to ask a bunch of questions. And if you think you're not gonna remember, just write them down on a piece of paper, okay? Everything related to that business, you have to write it down and just go down the list, tick it off, ask a whole lot of questions, okay? After you do your due diligence, go for it. If you fail, so what? So I'm never afraid of, afraid of failure, never. And that's how I teach my kids as well. Okay, awesome, man, I appreciate that knowledge. Yeah, this is uh, Kalali Dobe out of uh, out of Maryland, um, and I got a couple questions for you. So, so the first thing I well, first I want to thank you for spending some time with us, talking to us, um, sharing your information with us. I think it's absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's awesome that you're doing that. I really appreciate it. So, in listening to you speak, I heard you said that some of the tools of or some of the uh, some of the basic foundations of of wealth building is is uh, having good credit saving money, then turning the money that you saved into uh, additional money by investing and also having multiple revenue streams. Would yes. You, yeah. Would you, uh, are there any other uh, kind of foundations you would say you would, you would add to that or, or would? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. That's an excellent question. And this, just let me share this with you. The very key to building wealth, and I'm going to break it down to you very simply is having several revenue streams, okay? You also must have savings and you must have good credit. You can't invest in a business unless you got some cash. You can't buy a house unless you have a down payment. Where are you gonna get that money from? You have to save. Now, how do you save? The very first thing you need to do you got to know the facts of your balance sheet. On the left side, you need to get a pad and a piece of paper and write all your expenses down. On the right side, write your income down, okay? If you get paid twice a month, on the 15th, you get $2,500, and on the 30th, you get $2,500, you make $5,000 every month. Now, over on the left side, you have to put down every expense possible, rent, utilities, okay, 
uh, insurance, life insurance, and you better have some life insurance. We'll get to that in a little bit. Food and clothing, car loans, okay, student loan, telephone bill, internet bill, cable TV, credit cards, revolving accounts, prescriptions, gym membership, transportation, auto insurance. You got a car, so you got auto insurance. Home insurance, you either got a house, so you're paying your, your, your mortgage insurance, or you got rental insurance. Health insurance, you got health insurance, that's a bill. Entertainment, young people spend a ton of money on entertainment. <laughs> I got one right here. <laughs> it, it may not be appropriate to mention it, but lobster girls. Some of you may have girlfriends that when they go out, the only thing that they wanna eat is lobster. That lobster is expensive. You need to introduce them to something called chicken, something <laughs> called fish. <laughs> I know you're gonna get. I know you're gonna get some emails on this story. I'm sorry, my brother, but you told me to bring it. <laughs> okay. Hey, just as long as you be inclusive with some lobster hey, out there. Too. Clubs. A lot of brothers go to the clubs. That's an expense. Some of them make it rain. That's another expense. <laughs> okay. All of these, you got to add up. And you'll find that some of those expenses, when you add it up, it comes to $7,000, but you only making 5,000 a month. Now, you know what that $2,000 in um, that deficit, you know where that's going? On your credit card. So now you're only, you living paycheck to paycheck and you're establishing bad credit because now you're maxing out your credit card. And that's what a whole lot of young people do. So you got to know what your balance sheet looks like in order to save. So now you got to either eliminate some of those expenses or you need to get another job, a part-time job, or you need to get a side hustle that's going to bring you some more income so that you can save. That's the bottom line. You got to know where every dime is going if you're going to save money. And then you got to invest it. Okay. And that, I mean, that's, that's great information. A lot of people don't even ever talk about balance sheets or the fact that we need to actually know what we're spending and how every much penny, yeah. every penny. So, and so the next question I got for you is I saw you got the book of uh, building black wealth. Um, I think as, as black men, we all understand, you know, how important it is for us in our communities to, to build wealth. Um, what would you say just for those who may not know, uh, is the importance of just the overall general social importance of the black community having wealth? Well, well, first of all, every generation should make it easier for the next generation. Okay, that's in the Bible. Okay, it's in the Bible. You have an obligation to make sure that your children's children, that you leave something for them. Okay, that's in the Bible. So, you don't want your children to struggle like your parents did or like you did. So you got to be able to pass some wealth on to them so that they can build generational wealth and pass it on to their children. Okay. And it is extremely important that we start doing that. This book, I wrote a chapter on generational wealth, the importance of it. Okay. And the fact that we have to be able to have trust set up so that when we pass, we're gonna, we're gonna die at some point, okay? And when you die, you have the choice of either leaving a half a million dollars by having insurance, by passing on a business, by passing on some rental properties to your children, or you have the choice of leaving them nothing. And if you leave them nothing, guess what's gonna happen? Their children are gonna struggle. So generational wealth is extremely important and it's up to us right now to make sure that we build generational wealth for our children and we have to teach them to pass it on to their children. Thank you. Well, to keep it real, I have another question. It's Commissioner Scott in Atlanta, Georgia again. So for the father that may be out there making it rain, <laughs> going to the strip clubs, throwing up you know, $2,000 on entertainment, right? Uh -huh. uh, what could they be doing with that money for their kids to set their kids up? Say they got a five-year-old or 10-year-old. Do you have some advice for those fathers that are saying, okay, I might want to do something different. I'm listening to Rich Miller and I'm going to make a change. What would you tell them to do 
with the extra income that they have? Well, the very first thing you want to do is what my parents did. Teach them how to save. Teach them how to save money. Go get a bank, say a bank book, open up an account for them. And they got to be independent. Teach them to get a job. Go get a job. I got my first job when I was 10 years old. Now, we moved to New York when I was 12. And the laws in the state of New York, children can't work until they're 14. So I had to hang out for two years without a job. It drove me crazy, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Because I've always worked. And I I always like being independent. I always like having my own money. So teach your kids to save. Teach your kids to go get a job as soon as they can. And teach them how to save at least 25% of their income. Now, take it a step further. The bank's only going to give them a half a percent. Teach them how to invest in the stock market, okay? I have a very good it's simple. I wrote a chapter on investing in the stock market. Oh my goodness. It is so simple that an old person or a young kid can read it and understand. Investing in the stock market is not rocket science. Anyone can invest in the stock market. Before you can teach your kids, you got to learn. You can't teach your kids how to buy stocks and you don't know how to. Educate yourself. You got to read. We as Black folks, we don't read enough. Reading is so important. And a lot of our kids read, but they read the wrong thing. They on Facebook all day, Facebook and Twitter and all of that crap. That ain't going to help your kids to be wealthy. Your kids need to learn how to read the Wall Street Journal and see what's going on in there. They need to learn how to read Money Magazine if it's still around. I grew up reading Black Enterprise. Anything that would teach me about money and about investing. I'm reading. You got to show an example to your kids. You got to learn that stuff and then sit down and explain it to them and make sure that they're reading the right things to get the right information. It's all out there. And now that you've got the internet, you don't even have to go to the library. Back in the day, I used to go to the library on 42nd Street every Saturday, spending hours. Now you Google anything you want, you can Google it. Back in the day, if I had Google, I would have been a valedictorian in college, (laughs) okay? Because there's so much information out there. But we spend time getting the wrong information, just wasting time on Facebook and and other stuff. I mean, Facebook is good for certain things, but you're not going to spend all day reading Facebook and you don't know how to invest in the stock market. Okay, um, this is uh, Niles Matthews from Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Uh, I had a question when you said that when you got into real estate, what was a good time that you did get into real estate? And what would you say would be a good credit score? And when it comes to getting in that field to get that passive income? Well, that's a good question. And let me just say this. Right now, interest rates are are higher. Uh, By the way, they're starting to come down because I was reading Wall Street Journal last uh, Friday. And interest rates starting to come down a little bit. So my philosophy on investing is such. There is always, it's always a good time to invest in real estate and invest in the stock market. Always. Okay. Now, I know the S&P, the Dow and the NASDAQ's down. But guess what? Energy is up. The last time I checked, which was today, energy is up 50.4% for the year. So if you invest in some oil companies or if you invest in some companies that ship in oil, okay, think about it. If you got a Greek company, because the Greeks are in the shipping, they're shipping oil from the Black Sea. You know how dangerous the Black Sea is right now? If that company is going to ship oil, they're going to make a ton of money. So- These are things that you can invest in. Energy. Utilities are up 9.9% for the year. Invest in utilities. Consumer staples. Have you heard there's a shortage of wheat? Guess what? If you find a company that that is going to be able to produce wheat and sell it around the world, that company is going to do really well. Oil, shipping, wheat. Have you heard of something called electric cars? Those electric cars run on, on, uh, on, on lithium, EV batteries. EV batteries are made with lithium. 
Lithium is an excellent investment to get into right now. China, all, the United States, everyone is preparing to transition from, from gas cars to electric cars. And guess what? All those companies that invest in lithium, because you need lithium for EV batteries, you invest in that, you're going to be ahead of the game. You're going to do extremely well. Okay. Now, that's about the stock market. Let me tell you about real estate. Tomorrow, there's going to be some corporate guy that's going to get transferred from New York to Seattle. And when he go to Seattle, guess what? He's going to need a house. Okay. Otherwise, he's going to have two mortgage payments, one in New Jersey and one in Seattle. That guy right there is a motivated seller. You may be able to steal his house in New Jersey, even though houses in New Jersey, the prices are high. They're motivated sellers all the time, okay? They're folks who can't afford to pay their mortgage because they lost their job, okay? Guess what? They're either going to lose that house or they're going to sell it, okay? Because they can't pay their mortgage. That's a motivated seller right there. If you, if I don't know if you look at Zillow, but there's always homes on Zillow that got a ton of equity. If I see a house with a lot of equity in it, even though interest rates are high right now, I'm going to buy that house. And when interest rates come back down, guess what? I'm going to refinance, get me a low interest rate and pull some of that equity out. So my philosophy is this. This, it's always a good time to invest in the stock market, and it's always a good time to re invest in real estate. And um, just in texting with you and emailing with you, you said you use your stock market gains as down payments on your rental properties. Talk yes. about that. Okay. Three years ago, my wife and I, we bought several rental properties. And how we did that, we sold some, we took some of those gains. I do my own investing in the stock market. S&P, the Dow, a bunch of those uh, indexes, some of those indexes were up 15%. I was up 20%, okay? And my goal is to be up 20, 25% when the market's doing well. And if you read my book, I wrote a chapter on investing in the stock market. So what we did, we took some of those gains, okay? We sold some stocks took some of those gains, and we use that money is that 20% down. When you purchase a rental property or an investment property, you got to put 20% down. So all of those uh, down payments that we put down, that money was from our stock market gains. So we were building our wealth with house money, if you will. And that, that's, the, uh, that's the, the short answer. The stock market's going to come back. Okay, we didn't sell all our stocks, okay, because some of them are basically very good stocks. They're going to come back. You have to invest in the stock market in order to get a good, uh, a good gain. And you have to have several different revenue streams, okay? And some of the revenue streams is insurance, okay? I'm still getting paid on policies I sold back in 2006 because of residual income. That's what you will get from insurance. I've got folks paying me rent every month, passive income. I've got stock market gains. Now, if real estate is not for you, there are other ways that you can uh, get uh, residual income. Okay, if you're a barber and you break your right hand, you can't cut hair anymore. So you still got your mortgage. You still got all your bills to pay. How are you going to, to pay those bills and you can't cut here? Well, guess what? If you're a barber and you got a couple of rental properties, those folks are going to be paying you rent every month. If you're a barber and you got a, a, an insurance license and you do Medicare Advantage, it is very, very lucrative. Okay. If you are a, a broker, national average is $601. So if I sign someone up for Medicare Advantage, they're going to pay me $601 up front. And after the first year, they're going to pay me $25 a month for life, as long as that person is alive. Those brothers that live in Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and D.C., 
they get paid more. They get $678 when they sign someone up for Medicare Advantage. And guys, it's an easy sale. All the person got to have is a Medicare card, okay? It takes 15 minutes, and they're getting $678. Now, the brothers that live in New Jersey and California, they're getting $715 every time they sign someone up on Medicare Advantage. So if you're a barber and you live in New Jersey and you got your insurance license, okay, and your health insurance, you can do Medicare Advantage to all those clients that you cut in their hair, okay, the older ones that's over 65, sell them a Medicare Advantage plan. You're going to get paid $715 up front. And every month, you're going to get $31 a month residual. Their kids need insurance. All those people you cut their hair, their kids and their grandkids need insurance. So now you break your arm. You can't cut hair, but you got that insurance money coming in every month. You get that residual income coming in every month. You got a couple of rental properties paying you money, uh, rent every month. So guess what? You can sit home, let your arm heal and you can still handle your business. Um, this is Nelson Simmons uh, out of uh, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. My question was, uh, you uh, have been in the real estate game for quite a while, uh, the stock market uh, for quite a while. And one of the things that you, you kind of mentioned and to you know, kind of clarify for uh, the, the, the viewership, uh, you said that you took those capital gains from your stock investment and bought real estate, several real estate properties. And yes. just to make clear, you touched none of that principle that you initially put in, correct? Am I, am I, I, I sold stock. Okay. Okay. So say, for example, you have a stock portfolio. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you started your stock portfolio, you started it with $50,000. Now those stocks grew. And now that portfolio is worth 100000 Okay, so you can sell $50,000 in stock and you still got that 50 that you started off with initially. So now that 50,000 in stock you sold, use that to buy uh, as down payment on your rental properties. You see right. what I'm saying? Does that yes. make sense? Yes, sir. And touching none of that principle, correct? Exactly. Right. I just so want now, to make now, now you got another uh, revenue stream. You got income coming in. I've, I've got folks paying me the average, I'm averaging $1,200 a month on each of my rental properties because rents have gone up. Absolutely. And there are other, there are other revenue streams, guys. You know, not everyone is into uh, to real estate, but, but guess what? You can uh, have a, a couple of ATM machines, put those ATM machines around, and guess what? Whenever someone uses it, you're getting three, four bucks. That's residual income. Write books. Every time someone buy a book from me, I'm getting money from Barnes and Nobles and Amazon. That's residual income. Make movies. My daughter's into making movies. When someone watch her movies, she's gonna get residual income. There's several revenue streams that you can look at, but you're not gonna be wealthy if you just have a job. You have to have several revenue streams if you wanna be wealthy. Now. And here's the thing. You don't have to be making six figures. You don't have to be a corporate brother to, to, to have money, to, to, to have different revenue streams. You could be a postal worker. OK, you could be a shoeshine boy, but it's what you do with your money. It depends on if you have good credit, too, because if you want to purchase some rental properties, you got to have good credit. And you got to have a down payment. So if you're a postal worker, save some money, invest that money, let it grow, and buy a piece of rental property. If they pay you $1,200 a month at the end of the year, guess what? You got enough money to maybe buy another one and, and get another one. Before you know it, you may have 10 or 20. Now you got something you can pass on to your kids. People are investing now. But I want to, before I touch on that, I just want to know real quick. So I hear a lot of brothers that say, man, I don't believe in the stock market. It's basically legalized gambling. What's your thoughts on that? If you don't believe in the stock market, then you are missing out on a very nice revenue stream. Because if you invest your money in the bank, you're only going to get a half a percent. You're getting a half a percent 
I'm getting 20, 25%. Okay. Whose money is going to grow faster? It may be legalized gambling, but guess what? You can eliminate some of that risk if you invest in things that you know and things that you understand and things that make sense. And that's what I do. I am, I have, and if you read my book, Building Black Wealth, I'll tell you exactly what I look for in buying stocks. First of all, I don't ever buy a stock that's over $50 a share. Why? Because that's what I can afford. I can afford stocks that are under $50. I never buy a stock unless that company is doing well, better than the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the Dow. That stock has to be outperforming those three, the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the Dow. Not just outperforming them, it's got to be outperforming them by at least 20%. And, and you can look that up. You can go to, to Schwab or you can go to uh, Google Finance. You can go to any brokerage firm. They have a portal that will give you that information. Now, what are you going to invest in? You're going to invest in the, the, the uh, industries that are, that are doing well. And right now, the industries that are doing well is energy, utilities, and consumer staples. And you can take it a step further. You don't even have to go find those companies. They will tell you which companies they are, okay? And you can drill down. Find those companies. Find the ones that's doing well. Find the ones that don't have any pending litigation. If you got a company that's got a lawsuit over their head, guess what? If they lose, it's going to cost them a ton of money and the stock is going to go down. Okay, so these are things that you can find out. Find out whether or not the uh, offices in the company are dumping. Okay, if the offices in that company are selling large quantities of stock, they know something that you don't know. And that's a red flag. So these are things that you can do. You can teach yourself how to invest in the stock market. There is just so much information out there. And then you just buy those stocks. And then, you know, you sit back and watch them grow. Now, I'd never fall in love with a stock. If it's going down, stocks go up and they go down. I don't just panic and sell it right away. I give it a little time. And if I see that that trend is going down constantly after about a quarter, three months, I never fall in love with a stock because all it's doing is tying up my money. I sell it and either keep the cash, hold the cash, or buy something else. <laughs> but I mean, it's just that basic. So while we're talking about stocks, you know, like I was like I was transitioning to, you know, Robinhood Chase, you know, it's ease to just get an individual stocks. But talk about mutual funds. Are you more of an individual stock guy? Are you more of a mutual fund player? If you have both, what percentage are you putting in each one? Mutual funds are for people just starting out, getting their foot wet, dipping their foot in the pool. I did mutual funds when I was 12, 14 years old. I have to have a better rate of return. And by the way, I did work on Wall Street. Okay, so I do understand the stock market and I taught myself. I basically want to get a better return than the five, six percent that you get on mutual funds. Today, you're not even getting that on mutual funds. It's more like three, three percent if you're lucky. I have to be able to make at least 20, 25% rate of return on my investments, okay, on my stocks. So I look for stocks that are going to grow, okay, stocks and industries that are doing well, stocks that are under $50 a share, and I watch those stocks grow. Now, investing in the stock market is about using common sense also and using your intuition. When COVID first started, I said to myself, you know what? There's going to be companies out there that's going to be making these vaccines for COVID. So guess what? I did a little research and I wanted, I remember COVID was real bad in Europe. So I wanted to find out what European company is going to be making a vaccine. And guess what? After doing a little research, BNTX. I bought BNTX at $33 a share when COVID first started. And that sucker went all the way up to like 300 and something dollars. Now it came back down. So Moderna, any company 
that's going to invest in vaccines when, when COVID first started. That's what I want to invest in because they're going to do real well. Right now, we're in a situation where energy, you're paying $6 for gas, $6 a gallon. It's starting to come down. But guess what? They're going to be drilling oil for oil in America, in, in Alaska, so that we're not dependent on that Russian oil. What are those companies that are going to be drilling? Those companies are going to have to ship that oil. We may have to ship oil and natural gas to Europe, our allies. What are those companies? Who's big in shipping? Wheat. Ukraine produced 50% of the wheat that went to Africa. Who's going to step up and produce the wheat that Ukraine was producing? And what companies are going to invest in that? If you invest in those companies now, guess what? You're going to do well. Lithium. We pretty much, we did not. And when I say we, I'm saying America. America did not do a good job going out there and investing in lithium mines. The Chinese beat us to it. The Chinese went into Africa and they made, they cut deals with those African countries. We will help develop your infrastructure. We will build bridges. We will build airports. All those things the Chinese have done for those African countries, they did it for one reason, to get their hands and control those lithium mines. So now, they, and they build bridges and roads headed straight from the mines to the airports. They build brand new airports for them. So now guess what? They're gonna get those and they're gonna control those lithium mines, pull that lithium out, ship it to China. So now down the road, we may have to buy lithium batteries from China. But guess what? The Biden administration is investing billions of dollars in lithium exploration. Ford, GM, and Chrysler, okay, have already geared up, okay, for EV cars. So this is an excellent opportunity for you as an investor. Find out where those lithium mines are. Find out who's pulling that lithium out of the ground. Invest in some of those companies now so that you'll be ahead of the game because lithium is going to be huge pretty soon. Very shortly, there will be no more gas cars because guess what? Two things. We're dependent on that Russian oil. It's messing up the uh, environment, okay? And it's the thing of the future. So if you do a little research now, find out who's digging lithium out of the ground, invest in those companies, you will be ahead of the game. And those are the things that you have to do to be an investor. In the, in the stock market. Here, before I let you go, man, one thing, when you uh, sent me some notes, um, you talked about interacting with wealthy people. You talked yes. about relationships on golf courses. And yes. you know, a lot of brothers, a lot of brothers tell me, man, they don't, outside of going to work, they don't really leave their community. They're more comfortable. There. They don't really deal with other races. Let's, let's have this conversation. Oh, man. my goodness, Corey, my brother. I am so glad you brought that question up. I grew up in New York City. You did too, Corey. I think you're from Brooklyn. In New York, you're going to interact with Jamaicans, with folks from the West Indies, from uh, Italians, from, with Greeks, from Jews. You're going to interact with folks from every background, every color. We make a mistake when we only interact with our own race. You can learn things from people of several races and they can help you. Climbing the corporate ladder at Ford Motor Company, there were so many white folks at Ford Motor Company. First of all, we only had two blacks in my office, okay, of 25 people, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. And they, were, and they liked me. Okay, and they helped me. Some of the zone managers that I interacted with, we were all, it was a very competitive environment. We were all competing for that next uh, promotion. But these white guys, they took it upon themselves to teach me the ropes. Okay, so I learned a lot of stuff from, uh, from people of different races. And to this day, okay, I'm always looking to learn things. 
I had a company, Automotive Internet Marketing, some of the first websites on the internet, automobile car dealership websites I built. I knew nothing about the internet. A guy from Pakistan, a young guy from Pakistan, schooled me on the internet, schooled me on websites. I didn't even have a computer, okay? I met this guy at this uh, fear, okay, a technology fear. And I asked him, what is the internet? What's a website? And he showed me. And that was Friday. Saturday, I went and I bought a used uh, laptop computer. Didn't even know how to turn it on. He helped me get on the internet. And that guy, he built my websites, my first websites. He was charging me like 400 bucks and I would sell them for a thousand. So I started a business because of a guy, because of a guy from Pakistan. Had I not interacted with him, I wouldn't have started that business. How do you meet wealthy people? They're all over. But one of the best places to meet them is on the golf course. That's where they hang out. So if you if you learn how to play golf or if you're just out there practicing, you're going to meet folks of different races, of different uh, nationalities playing golf. Talk to them. Ask them how they became wealthy if they are, and they'll tell you. Okay? There's one thing about wealthy people. They love to talk about themselves. And they love, they do. <laughs> okay? And, and, and if you sit down next to a wealthy guy, okay, for two and a half hours in a golf cart, drinking beer, when, you, when that got, round of golf is over, you could have learned a whole lot of stuff. So don't limit yourself. Don't just hang out with Black folks. Hang out with, with, with people of different colors, people of different backgrounds, because you can learn a lot from them. And that's what I do. Commissioner Scott out of Atlanta, Georgia, again, I just want to say that I think you're right. Experience is the best teacher. Uh, we can learn a lot from people that just we know, whether it's a janitor at work or a teacher or, you know, your next door neighbor. So before we leave, could you describe or talk about maybe a failure that you may have had in business and how to make you a better entrepreneur? That business I had building websites. I had that business for four years. I made, I made a ton of money. It was real sweet because the internet was new. Everybody now wanted a website. Okay, black car dealers were, were telling their white car dealers, hey, I got a website. You got a website? No, call this guy. Call Rich Miller. So <laughs> I would fly out to where they are, take pictures of the dealership, come back, give them a digital camera so that they can take pictures and send them back to me. So... Here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm making a killing, okay? At one point, I was charging $2,500 for a website. But two things happened. Technology improved. They started adding a whole lot of bells and whistles to the websites, things like Flash, okay? A whole lot of content, stuff that I wasn't doing. And then I get a call from some of my dudes, hey, Rich, you're charging me $2,500 for this website? This dude just left my office. He can bill it for 600 bucks and I can get a ton of stuff that you're not giving me. <laughs> that was one thing that happened. Then the manufacturers, Ford, GM, and Chrysler, and all of the others, they decided they wanted to get into the website business. So they started building websites and demanding that the dealership buy the website from them instead of me. <laughs> okay. So after a while, that business just dried up and I went out of business. Well, I went out of the website business. Okay. But then I got into something else. Another failure, my car dealership. Okay. And you're going to have to read my book, Dealing, to find out about that. Okay. But to make a long story short, when you go into business, you cannot go into business undercapitalized. And that's what black car dealers did back in the 80s and early 90s, okay? We went into business undercapitalized. We didn't have enough money. We didn't have enough money or we didn't have uh, relationships with banks that can give us bridge loans when the recession comes, okay? One thing I learned from having that car dealership you're going to get a recession every 10 years. 
Sometimes it may be a little longer. It may be every 12 or 15 years. But recessions are cyclical. You're going to get recessions. So when that recession comes, guess what? Your sales are going down because people lost their jobs. They can't afford to come to your dealership and buy cars. But you still got all your expenses. You still got rent. You still got all your fixed expenses and variable expenses. How are you going to pay those expenses and you ain't selling no cars? People not coming in for, for service. How do you stay afloat? You got to get a bridge loan. So if you don't have a relationship with a bank to give you $300,000, $400,000 to help you weather the storm, if the manufacturer don't give you a bridge loan, guess what? You're going to go out of business. And that's what happened to black car dealers. That's why we went out of business. It wasn't because we didn't know how to run a business. Okay, we knew how to run business just as good or better than white car dealers. It wasn't because we didn't uh, have good employees or we didn't train our employees. Another thing that, that, that hurt us was the location. We got the worst locations because that's all we could afford. I came to the table with 150,000 plus 2 million. You got dealers coming to the table. Perfect example, Warren Buffett. He bought 100 car dealerships in 2015, 100. And I'm sure Warren Buffett didn't buy the dealerships that black car dealers were buying. He got the best locations. Because you know why? He had the money to do it. Now, Warren Buffett don't know the car business better than me. Okay, but guess what? He can hire people that know the car business. And that's what happens when you go into business undercapitalized. Okay, you get bad locations. Okay, location, location, location. If you want to be successful in business, you got to have a good location. You have, you can't be undercapitalized. When the recession comes, you got to be able to get that bridge loan to stay afloat. Do you have a relationship with some bankers that's going to loan you money? Do you have other revenue streams that you can tap for money? Those are the lessons I learned. Those from my failures. Thank you for sharing those, sir. Those were nuggets. So, As young Black people, as brothers and sisters in colleges, as my man Niles is at Georgia Tech right now, what advice would you have for them? Because I hear so many brothers say, listen, man, I'm not worried about generational wealth. I'm not worried about none of that. I got time. I just want to have fun. I want to party. I want to wear the hottest trends. And I just worry about that when I get in my 30s. At the start of the show, I told you I got started at age 10. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that was the first question you asked me. If you're going to wait till you're 30 to get started, or if you're going to waste all that time uh, by just partying and hanging out in college, I mean, anybody can do that. You're going to be behind the eight ball. Start as soon as you can. And not only start as soon as you can, have your children start at an early age. Start teaching your children about money when they're three, four, five years old. You'd be surprised. Kids that are three, four, five years old, their brains are like sponges. They just can soak up knowledge. Do you know a three, four, five-year-old kid can learn a foreign language quicker than an adult? Kids that are young, they may be young, but they, their brains are like sponges. Start them early. Spend time with your children if you have children at a very early age, okay? And you have to read. There is just no substitute for reading. If you want to build generational wealth, if you want to be wealthy, it ain't going to just happen overnight. You have to read, okay? There's a wealth of information out there. You don't even have to go to the library. Google it. Okay, there's a lot of information out there. Learn about investing. Ask questions. Okay, educate yourself. Don't depend on schools, colleges, and universities to educate you on these things. They're too important. Educate yourself. Okay, and the sooner 
the sooner you start educating yourself, the sooner you start saving some cash, the sooner you start investing your money, you will be ahead of the game. I got one last question. This is Eric in uh, Huntsville, Alabama again. I, the question I want to ask you is, how, Mr. Miller, how did you get started? You mentioned about earlier about the Senior Advantage program. How did you get started with that? And what made oh, you, you mean, start? You mean Medi Medicare Advantage? Medicare Advantage. So yeah, Medicare Advantage. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Medicare Advantage is a form of insurance, health insurance. Okay. You probably see all those ads on TV. Okay. If you have Medicare Part A and Medicare Part B, you need to get Medicare Part C because you're missing out on a whole lot of benefits. That is absolutely true. People that have Medicare Part A and B, they can get Medicare C and D, and they call that Medicare Advantage. In 2004, Congress passed the law, the Medicare Reconciliation Act of 2004. The law did not go into effect until 2006. And in 2006, that's, where, that's when Medicare Advantage came about. Congress added Part D, which is the prescription drug discount. So if seniors, when they hit 65 and they get that Medicare card, the Medicare card is gonna say A and B. If they have A and B and you have an insurance license and, and you are contracted with the insurance company, you can sign them up for Part C and D and that insurance company, the national average is gonna pay you $601 for doing that. If you live in California or New Jersey, they're gonna pay you $715 for 15 minutes of work. It's not filling out that application, it only takes 15 minutes. And then after the first year, they're going to pay you the national average is $25 a month as long as that person is alive. So guess what? If you got 100 clients, multiply. Do the numbers. You get $601 up front from 100 people. And then after the first year, you're getting $2,508 every month as long as that person is alive. That's the residual income. It is huge. So that's why I got into Medicare Advantage and I got into it back in 2006 when it started. Some of those folks I signed up in 2006, they're still alive and I'm still getting that $25 a month from them. So, and I got, I got quite a few clients, okay? Cause I've been doing this for a while. So if you don't know anything about Medicare Advantage, if you are an insurance agent or an insurance broker, you need to be doing Medicare Advantage because it's a very lucrative form of insurance and the residual income is huge. If you are a barber, a plumber, a carpenter, a postal worker, and you're looking to add another revenue stream, Go get your insurance license and get some of this cheddar. This is not rocket science. Anyone can get an insurance license and get this cheddar. Now, all of that money you make in insurance, take some of it and buy some rental properties. Now you add in another uh, revenue stream. Now, how did I find out about Medicare Advantage? A white boy told me. Okay, <laughs> when I first started in insurance, I was, I was working for this insurance agency and we were only doing life insurance. And one day he took me aside, he said, Rich, you gotta come check this out. This is so, this is just unbelievable. This was back in 2006. So he took me aside, he showed it to me. I went to a seminar and guess what? I got my uh, health insurance license. And I started selling Medicare Advantage. And now I have 10 agents. They sell Medicare Advantage and they make a very good living in addition to uh, life insurance. And I basically provide an office for them. I train them. If uh, my female agents, if they go on an appointment and it's in an area that they don't feel comfortable with, I go with them. Okay, I provide that support. And every Medicare Advantage plan that they sell, I get a little piece of that. It doesn't affect 
that $601 that they get, that money comes directly from the insurance company. So if you're not doing Medicare Advantage and you're an insurance agent or you're an insurance broker across the country, you are missing out on a huge revenue stream. And again, if you are looking for a, another uh, source of income, and you guys can do Medicare Advantage. You can do it part-time. All you need is a, an insurance license. It's that simple. And you got to pass the test, okay? They give you a national test every year, okay? You got to pass the test because they want to be sure, the insurance companies want to be sure that you know the rules and you're not screwing it up for them because they make a ton of money, okay? So compliance is very big. So once you get your license, you pass the test, you're good to go. Thank you so much for pulling up on Black Men's Sundays, man. You could have been anywhere in the me. world. Yes, sir. You could have been anywhere in the world. You could have been on the golf course, chilling with those wealthy <laughs> friends, talking that cheddar, all doing about it, getting better. So thanks for pulling up on Black Men's Sundays. We appreciate you. But did you have a good time, man? Thank you very much for, uh, for having me. Man, I had a wonderful time. This was just the, the questions were excellent. So thank you for having me. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I will be following your podcast from now on. Check it out.